Hey everyone, welcome to the Promise Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Promise Church. And to see what else is going on around here at Promise, please visit us at mypromisechurch.com. We hope this message you're about to listen to ministers to you and changes your life. Enjoy. Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read real quick, but I want to point out a couple things. Nahash the Ammonite. This is an, this is an enemy king. Everybody say enemy. He goes up. He besieges Jabesh Gilead. He attacks them. And the men of Jabesh, when this enemy comes in, they say to him, make a treaty with us and we'll be subjected to you. We'll be your slave. Move the, through the verses there quick because I want to read quick. These folks have been standing. But Nahash, the Ammonite, he's the king. He replies, I'll make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you. And for why? To bring disgrace on Israel, to bring disgrace on God's people. Now the elders of Jabesh step in and they say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's not do that. Give us seven days. We're going to send messengers throughout Israel. And if no one comes to rescue us, if nobody comes to help us, then we'll consider surrendering to you. Next verse. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported those terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Saul is returning from working in the fields behind his oxen. He says, what's wrong with everybody? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, notice now the Holy Spirit comes over him. The Spirit of God comes powerfully over Saul and he burned with anger. Does everybody see that? That's one of those surprising things because I think sometimes we just think the Holy Spirit comes and we get joy and, and happy and dance and run and whatever. But there was a righteous anger that came over Saul when the Spirit of God came over him. Next verse there, Collins, thank you. He took a pair of oxen. Now, this sounds kind of wild, but stay with it. He cuts them into pieces, and he sends those pieces to the messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow me, King Saul, and Samuel the prophet. So he's saying, we've all got a fight here, and, 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 and the threat's right now on the edge of the kingdom, but your families, your farms are going to be in danger too if we don't stop this threat. Then the fear of the Lord, or the terror of the Lord, comes on the people. We need a fear of the Lord, of God's word, of God's holiness, of God's righteousness. And because of that, they said, let's come together as one. There's power in unity. And so there was a fear that hey, if we don't step up and do what God's asking us. And then it says, Saul mustered, uh, mustered them at Bezek. The men of Israel numbered, watch it now, 330,000 people, uh, 300,000 and 30,000 from, from Judah. Next verse. Uh, we're almost at the end of this. He told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh of Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. When the messengers wept and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we'll surrender you and you can do whatever you want to us. Next verse. The next day, Saul separated these men into three divisions. 
Uh, They broke the camp of the Ammonites. They slaughtered the enemy until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Reminds me of the verse that says the enemy might come in this way, but God is going to scatter them and send them back out seven ways. Greet somebody around you. Say, God bless you. Say you got your exercise in for standing. I'm sorry, I should have had you guys sit down and stand up or something. Thank you, Philip, to the band, Victor back there. Thank you, guys. I want to preach to you that help's on the way. Turn this to your neighbor. Say, help is on the way. Help's on the way. Turn to your other neighbor. Say, help's on the way. Turn to your favorite neighbor. No, I'm just fine. How many know there is times in life when you don't need help? Or How many say it this way? There's times in life when we want help, and there's times in life when we don't think we need help. But I want to tell you, help is on the way. I, I remember uh, my, my oldest son, Elijah, those of you that know him, he's like 11 now. Uh, but I remember when he was, he was young, maybe like three or four, and I have this memory when we were taking him to preschool. Um, he, would, he would always want to, I'd be holding his hand, and we'd be walking through uh, a parking lot. He'd always want to rip his hand out of my hand. And, and I don't know, like, I, I maybe, you know, maybe some of you fathers that are further down the road can talk to me about this, but, like, even though my kids are 11 and 9, I still, my youngest is, is 1, but I, my two older boys, I still want to grab their hand in the parking lot. Like, I, I, they're going to be, like, 18, and I'm, like, grabbing their hand in the parking lot. It's just, like, I, like hey, stay, I'm watching. And I used to always tell them, I say, you need to be connected to me because I'm tall enough that cars can see me through their windshield. Like you're not taller than their bumper. They can't see you. You need to stay with me. And and I still tell them that. And uh, but Elijah, he would, he would, I don't know what it was, he would rip his hand out of my hand and he would just go trotting, you know, just just up to whatever we were going, up to the store. And so I'd have to don't stop and grab him, you know, and and pull him back and stay with me. And I'd give him that speech again. Hey buddy, you're not taller than the bumpers, they can't see you, stay with me. And one day we were going into his preschool and he ripped out of my hand and he's trotting up and I can still see him. He have like his little backpack on. He's trotting up and I kind of scanned the parking lot and I was like, ah, oh, he's good. I'll just let him run up. We weren't that far from the sidewalk and he face plants right over a parking curb. And now all of a sudden, as soon as he, ca- as soon as he catches himself, guess who he's looking at for help? The same one that he just ripped his hand out of and was running away. Now he's looking with tears in his eyes for help. And I just thought about how oftentimes we are the same way. And, and, and I, I, you know, life, life is this way. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. But I, uh, I, I, every time a couple comes to me, they want to be uh, married and want me to do the wedding, I, I always offer a pre-marriage workbook. It's a little class, and, and it's, it's fun. It's interactive. And a lot of times I get pushback on it. Like, well, pastor, we're busy, and you know, there's a lot going on with the wedding. And, like, uh, we're fine. Like, she's my princess. I love her. And she's like, he's my prince charming. Like, he's the, the best, strongest, most handsome warrior. And like, we're good. And like, like everything, like uh, my, my parents love her. And like, we're in, all in love. And this is the part you don't have to say amen to. But like, I want to say, okay, there's going to be a day, a year, three years, five years, 10 years, you're going to come home. And uh, you're going to be stressed out. Kids are screaming. 
Nobody knows what's for dinner. There's no food in the refrigerator. Uh, rent's due. Mortgage is due. Bank account's low. Life gets tough. And now that young couple is looking for where their help's coming from. And I thought about parenting. You can read all the books you want to read. You can take the classes. You can set up the crib, paint the nursery, buy all the paraphernalia and the diaper bags and the strollers and all that good stuff. But how many know no book is preparing you for that? And no book, I'll say, is preparing you for three either. Uh, and there's a moment when you need a little help. But here's what I'm come to say. Oftentimes, it seems like you've got to get frustrated before you look for help. Oftentimes, I think you got to try you, I think a lot of people try it their own way before they realize they need help. Sometimes you fall down, you mess up, you get hurt, and then all of a sudden you're looking for where your help comes from. Sometimes there's tears, there's dark nights, there's valleys, there's, there's long nights, there's long seasons before you realize that you need help. But I want to tell you, whether you feel that today or not, inevitably, in everybody's life, there will come a time where you need help. And I, today, I want you to know where your help comes from. Your help comes from the Lord. David said, I look up, my eyes go up, because that's where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. How many say amen to that? And so I think sometimes we get into that place and we say, Lord, how much more of this can I put up with? Uh, if it's not this, it's that. And if it's not that, it's this other thing. And, and, and if it's not business, it's home. And if it's not home, it's business. And, and if it's not that. Ah. And I think sometimes we say, Lord, I could hold on a little longer if I knew that help was on the way. I could hang on a little longer if I knew that my answer was coming. And even though I want to give up, even though I want to let go, I could hold on a little longer if I knew that help was on the way. Today I want to tell you and I want to show you how help is on the way. Because I think there's times in life when all of us get to a place where we want to give up. And we might have a smile on our face in here today, but maybe the weeks prior or the weeks to come, some will contemplate giving up, throwing in the towel. I, I heard one time there's a... a, a a corner man, a boxing coach, and he was saying, I don't even let my guy see the towel during the round. I throw it on the floor because throwing in the towel, the towel is a sign of I can get out of this thing. And so, and so in, in his mind, he's contemplating it. It's, it's even harder if he can see that eject button. But I tell you, all of us get to that place where we contemplate giving up, throwing in the towel, or maybe even giving up on God. And many things happen in our life that discourage us but here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes we're within hand's reach from that which we've sought from God. And so many people give up at the wrong time. And sometimes when we give up, what we didn't know was that the answer was around the corner, was that the victory was just around the corner, that help was available Help was on the way, and I just want to declare from the Word of God today that your answer is in Jesus, that you can call on Him in a midnight hour, that He has not left you, He has not forsaken you, and I just want to tell you that trial won't last always. That night can't last forever. That rain cloud will run out of water at some point, and joy comes in the morning. Hold on. Because help is on the way. I wonder if I could raise faith in the house 
And somebody said, amen, help is on the way. The first thing, though, because I, I, I want to encourage you, but I also want to be practical and tell you, the first thing is you have to know where your help comes from. My help does not come from, from another good time. My help comes from the Lord. My answer is not in the earth. My answer is in the things of God. And, and he can use things. He can send things by his hand that are my answer. But it all came from the Lord. Israel did not always know where their help came from. They would run to the wrong things. They would run from the wrong uh, they would run to the wrong things and to the wrong places for help, and we are no different. Remember when that enemy king came to him, the guys at first, uh, when the enemy king said uh, came to fight and attack them, they said, yeah, we don't want to fight you. We'll just give up. We'll just be your slaves. And, and they said, well, you're going to be subjected to us. Or they said, well, they actually offered, if you read that first verse that we read, they actually offered, they're like, we'll, we'll serve you. And they were willing to go back into slavery even though God had just brought them out generations before. And how many times are we willing at the, at the moment we come into conflict, at the moment we come into trial, and the moment we come into temptation, we're willing to retreat and go back into the same things that God has brought us out of. God brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, into the promised land. And these guys were like, hey, we're willing to go back into slavery. And you got to know where your help comes from. My help is not giving in to the enemy, but my help comes from the Lord. And so Moses had led them out of Egypt, and Joshua had led them into the promised land. And God had set up a governance for them. And it really broke down. Uh, in, into two, three ways. There were prophets, there were judges, and there were priests. And the prophets would, 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 would come down with, the, with the, the, the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord. This is the direction. This is the way we're going. This is what God says for this hour. And the judges would oversee matters of conflict. And, and you know, this guy cheated this guy, and so you're going to pay him back seven times. And this guy did this, and this is going to be your punishment. And, and, but God himself was still the king. Let me say that again. God himself was still the king. And so when the people got into situations, God was still the king. And yet after a while, they begin to be disillusioned with this. And they say, they would look at the other nations. They say, the other nations have a king. We want to have a king. And God's like, you have a king. They're like, well, yeah, but they didn't. And Samuel's like, you have a king. And, and, and oftentimes, and I, I just preached for like four weeks about stand out. Because it was so much in my heart, I think we can be just like them and say, we want to be like everybody else. But I was saying for four weeks in that standout message series, if, if the norm is working, if the norm is so good, why is it not working for people? That's why God called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Uh, God, I have, he's called me to live by this. And, and, I, and I have his favor on my life and his blessing on my life. And, and so they fell into that trap of, we want to be like everybody else, but God's people make a mistake when we try to be like everybody else because God has called us up. God has called us out. He's called us out of darkness into promised land, out of slavery into the promised land, out of bondage into good things. So that's why I'm not comparing myself to everybody else. Um, and so uh, we, we get mixed up when we want to do that. But I just want to tell you, the things that other people run to for help, that's not where my help comes from. 
My help comes from the Lord. You have to know where your help comes from. When other people get in trouble, they, they, they might uh, run and hide. When other people get in trouble, uh, they might turn to substance. When other people get in trouble, they, they might push the eject button. They might throw in the towel. But I want to tell you that my help comes from the Lord. He can fight for me. He can fight my battles. He can protect me. He can provide for me. He can do the impossible. Nothing is impossible for him. But my help comes from the Lord. And, and I just tell you, like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an honor. It's a blessing to stand up today and to share the word of God. I, I, I serve him. I serve his people. I serve his house. And, and so I, I, I don't say this about me. I actually say this to give glory to God. But there's so many times after I preach that somebody will come up to me and they'll say, when you were preaching that, this one little thing here, it, it stuck with me. Like it, it blessed me. It, it was uh, exactly what I needed to hear this week. And I'm thinking, did I say that? Like, I don't remember saying that. And sometimes I've even gone back to my notes and I'm like, I didn't say that. But here's what it is. It's God intercepting it from my vocal box before it gets to your heart. Because the Bible says that every word of God will accomplish its assignment. So when I'm preaching about Jonah, uh, George right here is hearing something that God is challenging or encouraging him with. And, and Jake heard something different. And Bobby heard something different. And Javi heard something. Because it's the Holy Spirit intercepting and saying, this is what Jake needs to hear. This is what Raphael needs to hear. This is what George needs to hear. I want to tell somebody today, your help comes from the Lord. It might come from the preaching of the word of the Lord. It might come from the house of the Lord. It might come from people of God. It might come from, the, from a prayer where you're just pouring your heart out and you get one word from God and I make it through this desert. I make it through this. But my help came from the Lord. I, it might be a check. It might be a bonus. It might be favor. It might be a promotion. But it did not come from them. It came from the Lord. Somebody ought to help me say amen today. So look to him. What is he sending me? I love what Brian preached. He's here uh, today. Uh, I love what he preached last week about hiding and seeking. And we're hiding and God is seeking us. And so often when we get into this time where we're in trouble and we don't know what to do, we don't know where our help is, we have a tendency to shrink away, to run and hide away. But God doesn't want us to run and hide. He wants us to look up and say, Lord, I need a little help down here. My family needs a little help. I just tripped over a parking curb. My, my home needs help. My business needs help. That's why David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, I lift my eyes to the hills. I don't know if it's in a check. I don't know if it's in fighting my battle. I don't know if it's in healing. But my eyes are looking to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord. Somebody ought to say amen if you know where your help is coming from. I just want to tell you, a binge in a series on Netflix ain't going to fix your problem. Disappearing for a week ain't going to fix your problem. That substance ain't going to fix your problem. It's still going to be there after the Netflix show is over. But my help comes from the Lord. He can do all things well. 
Nothing is impossible for God. One moment in the presence of God can heal my sin-sick soul. One moment in God's house can turn my life around. He can change me in just a moment. I may say amen. Uh, A second thing I want to tell you is the enemy wants to fight you on their terms. But I'm not fighting on the enemy's terms. I'm fighting on God's terms. Because I, why? Because I'm not in contract with the enemy. I'm in covenant with God. I don't have a contract with the enemy. So I don't care what his terms are. And I'm not negotiating terms with him. I'm in covenant with him. And I'm not breaking this covenant to go into contract with the world or with the enemy. I've got a contract, a covenant with the king. I'll make that make sense. Here comes the enemy. Just hold that because I'll come back to it. Here comes the enemy, Nahash, king of the Ammonites. And he's he's attacking this town on the edge of the kingdom called Jabesh-Gilead. And the men uh, uh, immediately, they they see this army come in. And the the men, they say, we can't fight this this enemy. Uh, Let's let's come to terms with them. Let's negotiate. Let's, Let's have a treaty with the enemy. We can't fight. And they offer, they say, what can we do to not fight you? Could we serve you and not go to war? Could we be your slave and not go to war? And Nahash says, here's the thing. I'll make a treaty with you. Here's the one condition. This is the first condition. All of the men line up, and we're going to pluck out your right eye. Now, that's a terrible price to pay for a peace treaty. Like, you want a new car? It's got leather, sunroof, but we're going to have to take your right eye. I was just, that's kind of a joke. I didn't get any laughs. They're not really going to do that. <laughs> Maybe somebody's like, yeah, used car prices are real high right now. I would just be like, hey, I'm good with my hatchback. I'll keep my two eyes. No, thank you. Thing's got a quarter million miles, but it's all right. Let's go. But here's what I want to tell you. The enemy wants to negotiate with you. The enemy wants to negotiate you out of this covenant into his contract. And he says, I'll make a deal with you. I'll make a bargain with you. You can have peace, but it comes at a price. You can have what you're tempted for, but it comes at a price. Brian was preaching about Eve in the garden last week, and I just tell you, The enemy wasn't real up front with the price. Yeah, here's what it is, but there's a price attached to it. Here's here's what you want, but you got to give some things up. When the enemy brings that temptation, it's like, yeah, it'll be pleasurable for a season, but here's what you're going to lose. Yeah, it it might feel like a shortcut, but you're going to lose some things. Yeah, it, it, might, it, might, it might make you feel good for a while, or it might feel like an eject button, or it might remove the pressure, but there's a price attached. You're going to lose your salvation. You're going to lose your soul. You're going to lose your innocence. You're going to lose your holiness. You're going to lose your family. Like it, It's going to cost a price, and the enemy does not tell you what the price is. Eve said, well, God said, is this? He said, no, you're not going to die. She gets moved out of the garden, and she didn't realize what the price was going to be. The enemy is not up front with the contract. There are clauses. 
You don't understand on the backside of this thing. And so the enemy is saying, well, yeah, you could attain this, but you give up a lot. And sin is that way. The enemy might be offering you a shortcut, but somewhere inside you feel like this is too good to be true. Sin is, is maybe it's, it's offering you an advance in some way, but you have to give up your integrity. The enemy's offering you momentary pleasure and happiness, but the price is going to destroy you. And that's what the enemy wants to do is to steal and to kill and destroy everything that God has given you. That's why when the enemy comes with a temptation, a contract, a negotiation, or terms, you have to have enough grit and determination and faith in God to say, no, 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 I'm not willing to negotiate with you. I don't want what you have, and I don't want it at that price. I'm not in contract with you. I'm in covenant with God. I'm not accepting those terms. I'm ready to fight. And I'm not willing to go into contract with you. Somebody ought to say amen. We have to understand, I'm not fighting on the enemy's terms because I'm not in contract with him. I'm in covenant with God. So I fight on his terms. And the elders knew that. And they step in. And they say, no, 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 no. We're not going into contract. Let's send word out. Let's send word to the king. And let's call in some reserves before we do anything else. And I just want to tell somebody today, you can call on the name of Jesus at any moment. He can send down angels. You can call on the reserves. We ought to recognize and realize the power that we have access to. He's our healer. He's our protector. He's our provider. He's our best friend. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is a strong tower. He is your shepherd. He is with you. And how long does it take us to call on him sometimes? But we got to realize our weapons are not carnal, but they're spiritual. And they pull down strongholds. And so the enemy wants you to fight just on the natural battlefield, but I can fight him on the supernatural battlefield. He wants me to fight him on just his terms, but never forget, I can call on the king and fight him on God's terms. He wants you to just fight in the natural, but he doesn't fight fair. So I'm going to fight him in the supernatural too. I'm going to fight him in the natural. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand for the things of God. I'm going to declare the word of the Lord. I'm going to live right. I'm going to live holy. But I'm also fighting with prayer and the word of God and fasting and the anointing and the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit. I'm also fighting in the supernatural. I, I was at a conference one time, and you all probably heard me say this, but I'll, keep, I'll probably always preach this because I loved it. He was preaching about his family and how he was a pastor, and he was preaching about his family and how God had come, uh, how the enemy had come against uh, some of his children. Some of his children were young adults and teenagers, and and um, had got wayward at times. And he said, he said the enemy did not fight fair. He said I determined not to fight fair. He said I was doing everything I could. I was coaching him. I was counseling him. I was I was telling him, you know, that's not right, and and trying to ground him and <laughs> do all the things that parents do. And hey, you're not seeing those friends anymore. Hey, he's like I was doing everything I could, but the enemy wasn't fighting fair. He said so. I stopped fighting fair. He said when they went to sleep at night, I'd go in their room with an anointing bottle of oil, and I'd anoint their pillow so they'd be asleep. 
and I'd put a little drop of oil on their forehead. I'd put oil over their doorpost. He said, I put oil on their backpack. I put oil on their cell phone. I put oil on, on their clothes. I was, anno- I was praying in the Holy Ghost while they was asleep because the enemy didn't fight fair, so I'm not fighting fair. I'll fight in the natural and the supernatural. I'll fight in the physical and the spiritual. My weapons are not carnal. He's saying, my weapons are not physical. My weapons are spiritual, but they're powerful and effective to pull down the strongholds of the enemy. I wonder if anybody say amen in the house today. And anytime I get there, I think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall. He had a lot of detractors, people coming against him. And they said, we're going to build this wall, but you got two hands. Get a sword and a trowel. You get a trowel for the brick and the mortar. And I don't know if they had to figure out how to do that left-handed or what. But they had the trowel and they're getting the brick. And they're, they're, they got a brick in there and they put the brick and they mortar it up and they do all this thing. But they had a sword in the right hand. That meant they were working and they were ready to fight. They were working and they're praying. They're standing for God, but they're also praying in the Holy Spirit. They're speaking the word of God, standing for the things of God, but they're also praying a prayer of faith. And I want to tell everybody in the house, I want to tell you the church, you need a trowel and you need a sword. You need to use your voice in this earth, but you also need to lift your voice up to heaven. You need to keep your eyes open down here, but you also ought to look up and say, my help, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. So I'm fighting this thing, but I'm also praying the same time. And so what the enemy wants to do is the enemy wants to embarrass you. The enemy wants to take everything from you. So so the elders, and thank God for the elders, they step in and they say, no, 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 we're going to send word to the king. We're going to try to get some help delivered from this thing. We're not signing any treaty. You're not plucking anybody's eyes out. (laughs) I heard somebody laughing. But here's what I noticed in the text. Nahash was not so concerned about putting the men's right eye out in order to inhibit their ability to fight. What he was doing, the Bible tells us, he said to disgrace Israel, to disgrace God's people. He felt like, I can bring reproach on the God of Israel. If Israel's overrun and defeated, what's that say about the God of Israel? He wanted to embarrass God's people. He wanted to disgrace God's people. There's something about the devil that wants to embarrass you, disgrace you. I thought about Mark chapter 5 when the legion of demons took uh, control of that young man's life before Jesus drove those demon spirits out of him. The Bible says that those evil spirits, they stripped that boy or that man of his clothing. He was naked, embarrassed him. He, he's he's, he's run, roaming this graveyard. He's homeless. He lives in a graveyard. Embarrassing him. He was cutting himself, destroying his life, and he he was out of his mind. The enemy was making a fool and a mockery of him. And then you'll remember as soon as Jesus drove that those spirits out of the boy and into the pigs, the, the spirits immediately drove those pigs over the cliff for destruction. The enemy wants to steal everything God has given you. He wants to destroy every good thing in your life. He wants to kill your soul and take everything God has given you. And that's why I tell people that sin will take more from you than you bargain for. Even if you make a deal with the enemy, they... 
He's not, he's not keeping his word. He will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin will take more from you than you wanted to give. It will cost you more than you wanted to pay, and it will destroy your life. You've got to know today, don't make a deal with the enemy. Don't give a foothold of sin. Don't even talk. Don't even negotiate. Don't go into contract because I have a covenant with the king. I've got a covenant with the king. Somebody ought to say amen. I'm almost through. So the last thing I want to tell you, what I love about these elders is they said, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. We're sending word to the king. We're not agreeing to any of that. We're sending word back to our king. Why? Because they understood, I don't have to make a deal with the enemy. I'm in contract with the king. He's sovereign. He protects us provides for us. And so they, they said, we're going to send word back. And somebody ought to know today that you serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, whose throne is in heaven, not on this earth. But the Bible says the earth is his footstool. And so you don't have to give in to the terms of the enemy because God has everything that you need. You can send word to the king today and say, Lord, I need protection. I'm fighting a few things. I need provision. And you can tell the enemy, I'm not talking to you anymore because I'm sending the word to the king. So I just want to preach that today and say the enemy might have said something over your life, but I don't care what the enemy said, I care what God said. The enemy might be making threats, I don't care, I care what God said. The enemy might say your life is over, I don't care, I care what God said. I don't care what the enemy or the voices of fear and worry and faithlessness or negativity is playing out in my mind, I'm sending word to the king. Somebody ought to send word to the king today and say, Lord, I need some help down here. I know it looks like my enemies are after me, but I'm running to the Lord and my help comes from the Lord. I know the doctor said this, but my God is a healer. I know that that's what they said, but my God has the final word on this thing. I'm sending word to the king. Hallelujah. I wish somebody send word to the king today. Don't be defeated. Don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in the battle. I'm sending word to the king. Sending word to the king. Amen. I get fired up about this one. Saul got angry. King Saul was at home. He was working in his field. He come to him. They say, what's going on? Why are these people crying? Tell them, this town of Jabesh Gilead, on the edge of the kingdom, it's been captured by the Ammonites and King Nahash. And the only way King Nahash will make peace is if we agree for the, to let the enemy pluck out everyone's eye in that, in that city, in that town. The Bible said the Spirit of God came over Saul. And when the Spirit of God came over Saul, Saul got angry. And sometimes when the Spirit of God comes over us, we ought to get angry. I remember Jesus had so much zeal that he was flipping tables in the temple. Sometimes, when the, sometimes we think that when the Spirit comes over us, it only happens to make us joyful and happy and love and peace and joy. And those are fruits of the Spirit, absolutely. But I can also show you, and we should strive for those, I'm not discrediting that at all. But I can show you a lot of times in the book of Acts, 
as the Holy Spirit fell, Bible said boldness came over God's people. And I tell you that that, that boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. And there are times when we, the, the Holy Spirit comes and we'll leap and we'll shout and there'll be joy and maybe you move to deep emotions or whatever, but there's also times when the Holy Spirit comes and there ought to be a righteous anger that rises up to you and says, I'm not letting the enemy do that. I'm not letting the enemy do that to my family. I'm not letting the enemy do that to my home. I'm not letting the enemy do that to my church. I'm not letting the enemy do that to our children. I'm not letting the enemy do that to the next generation. And there's a righteous anger that comes up, and I'm willing to fight right there. That's what happened with Saul. And I I don't think I've ever asked the church to do this because I I don't have, you know, I don't have like an elevated opinion of my preaching. But uh, that that standout series was was um, in my spirit for for six months or a year. And and I know summertime people here, there, and everywhere. But it all culminated in that July. Uh, what ended up being July 2nd, that Sunday, July 4th weekend. And if you weren't here, because I know it was July 4th weekend, and I've never asked anybody to do this, but go back and check that out on the podcast. Let me ride to work with you one day this week and, uh, and, and cue it up. Because it was in my heart to tell God's people, he's called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. And I was saying in that message that in order to stand for some things, We've got to stand against some things. Like somebody said, if you stand for everything, you'll fall. Because in order to stand for things, I've got to stand against things. And I was saying in that sermon that if I love gardens, I've got to hate weeds. I can't love gardens and love weeds. That's impossible. You're either going to love the garden and hate the weed or hate the weed Hate, love the weeds and hate the garden. And Jesus said the same thing. He said, you can't love God in this world. You either love one and hate the other or love this one and hate the other. Nobody can serve two masters. And I, and I brought out the point that Jesus, he, he made this really strong statement. He said, on judgment day, if somebody abuses one of these little children, they, he was teaching and, and it's in different chapters, but it was in the same day. They're trying to run the children off, and Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. And they didn't think that, that they were important. And, and Jesus says, no, let the children come to me. And, and within that same day's teaching, he, he actually says this. He says, if anybody would abuse one of these children on judgment day, it would be better if they hung a millstone or a cinder block around their neck and jumped into the ocean than to offend one of these children. And it's like, how could Jesus say something like that? It's surprising when someone reads it. You say, how could Jesus say something like that? Well, he, he loves children so much that he hates the abuse of children. You can't love children and allow that to happen. You're going to love this and stand against that. You're going to stand for this and stand against that. And so because I love my garden, I run off weeds. And so I just want to tell you today, if you stand for the things of God, you have to stand against the things of this world. And if I'm standing for truth, I have to stand against lies. And if I'm standing for things that are right, I have to stand against things that are wrong. I can't stand for 
everything. And so that's why we ought to have a righteous anger that comes over us and say, no, 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 that is a battle that's worth fighting. Saul said, no, 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 I'm not going to let them take one town in my kingdom. This is a battle worth fighting. And the Bible says a righteous anger came over him. And I want to tell God's people, sometimes when the Spirit comes over you, there's a righteous anger to say, no, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I'm standing for what's right. I'm standing against those things. God is still on the throne. God's word is still true. I stand against the lies of the enemy. I stand for what's right, and I stand against what's not right. And so, uh, where am I at? Send word to the king. Um, Saul got angry. In fact, he does this thing that sounds a little wild, but you'll understand. He takes a yoke of oxen, he chops them into pieces, and he told the men, take, he slaughters the animal, and he says, take these quarters of this animal to the four corners of the kingdom and tell the men that if they don't fight, this is what the Ammonites will do to all of your cattle, to all of the farms. And what he was trying to say was, we have to fight here and now. This is the battle line. We don't give the enemy a, a foothold. We don't even give them one step into our kingdom. Because Saul realized that the enemy would not be happy just taking one town on the edge of the kingdom. But it would be that town today, and the next, and then it would be that tribe today, and then the next day it'd be Dan. And then the next day, it'd be Reuben. And then the next day, it'd be Judah. And then the next day, and it'd be all the way to Jerusalem. David recognized the same thing when he said, no, I'm not going to let the lion even take one lamb. He said, no, because the lion will come back tomorrow for another lamb. I'm going to chase that lion down and slay that lion and pull the lamb out of its mouth. This is a fight worth fighting. I'm not even giving them one step into the kingdom. He said the same thing about the bear. The bear was going to come back for another sheep, so I'm going to fight him here and now. And Saul wanted the people to know, hey, you can't let them take that town because tomorrow it'll be your town. And that's why he sent that cattle saying, they'll come for your farm as well. You better fight for your brother right here and right now and don't give up an inch of territory. And what I love about it, it said the fear of the Lord came over God's people. And they, I, I, I just assume, and I, I'm kind of making an assumption here, but I assume that, that they, the fear of the Lord came over them thinking, if we don't defend our brothers... God's judgment will be on us next. we got to stand up for what's right. And the Bible said 330,000 men showed up ready to fight. And the word of the king was this. Tomorrow, before the sun gets hot, you're going to have help. He was saying they're not going to put out your, their eyes. We're not going to live in defeat. We're not accepting the terms of the enemy. So before the sun gets hot tomorrow, I'm telling you, help will arrive. Just hold on until noon tomorrow and you're going to have the victory. He's telling his people, just hold on because help is on the way. And one thing I love about this text 
is the Bible said that help arrived before the first or before the last watch of the night, meaning they were still on night shift when those first guys came to help. They didn't even have to wait till the sun was hot. The men came early in the early hours of the morning, and by noon that day, the battle was over. I want to tell somebody today, if you'll call on the king, he'll fight for you. If you'll call on the king, help is on the way. I want to tell you if you're discouraged and going through, if you're weaker, if you're hurting, if you're wondering, if you're trying to solve it all on your own, you don't have to hang on much longer. You just got to send word to the king and help is on the way. He sees you in your prayer closet. He sees every tear that you cried. And if you'll just call on the king, help is on the way. I wonder if anybody in the house today would just say, Lord, I need a little help down here. Lord, I need a little help down here. And once you say, Lord, I need help, all you have to do is hold on because the armies of God are on the way. He'll fight your battle. Your help is on the way. Music come. I got to close today. Um, I think you might be asking, how much longer do I got to hang on? And I think that's a fair question. But I think that sometimes we determine when our help shows up. My willingness to send word to the king or not can accelerate the help that's on the way. If they had never sent word to Saul, what happens? We don't know because the elders, thankfully, stepped in and said, hey, let's send word back. Let's get some reinforcements here. And as I close, I thought about that great story in, um, in the Gospels where a storm rises up and they're on the boat and the wind and the waves are crashing on that boat. The boat's getting rocked. And they're in a storm and the disciples... I don't know if they just think, well, we'll weather the storm. They're, they're fishermen. They've, they've, uh, they've seen a few storms before. And so, they're like, well, the first part, they probably think, well, we're okay. But it gets worse, and the winds and the waves are beating on that boat and tossing it back and forth. And it begins to get scary, and the guys are, are getting a little more worried and a little more worried. And, and finally, you can tell that fear is gripping them. Because they get to a place where they say, let's go down into the bottom of the boat where Jesus is sleeping and let's wake up Jesus because we need some help up here. And they go down into the bottom of the boat and you can tell how panicked they were and where their fear was and where their mind was because in their, in their, in their plea to the Lord, they say, Master, carest not thou that we perish? Don't you care that we're going to die up here? Jesus says, he, he actually kind of rebukes their fear. He says, little faith and, and this and that, but steps up into the bow of the ship and he says, peace, be still. And immediately, the Bible says, the storm stopped. The clouds dried up, clouds roll away, sun breaks through the clouds. The rain stops, the lightning and the thunder stops, the wind stops, the waves are calm. All of a sudden, it's a nice day out on the boat. And they marvel and they say to one another, what kind of man is this 
that even the wind and waves obey him. But I can't help but wonder, why didn't they go to him before, an hour ago, 30 minutes ago, a broken board ago, a snapped sail ago? How many times do we suffer in the storm when we could just send word to the king and say, Lord, I need a little help down here. Do you see my business? I need a little help down here. Do you see my home? I need a little help down here. Do you see my mind, my heart, my emotions, my soul, my spirit? I need a little help. And when you call on the king, help is on the way. Stand with me. I happen to remember the writer said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And the question is, how long is the night? One thing I've noticed about life is there's seasons when the night is longer and there's seasons when the night is shorter. It's true in the natural and it's also true in the seasons of our life. There are nights that are longer and there are nights that are shorter. I woke up early today on Sundays. My alarm set for 5.05 and I was up for a while and I was moving around the house and I, I thought, Lord, what time does it, the sun come up? And he didn't answer me, so I opened up my iPhone app and I saw that it had come up at 6.37 and it was still like 5.15. I'm thinking, man, I got to slug around here in the dark for an hour and a half. But here's what I want to tell you. No matter how long the night is, joy will come in the morning. No matter how long that night is, it can't stay dark forever. The night cannot hold back the sun forever. That rain cloud is going to run out of rain. The sun is going to crack that morning sky. You can't, try, you can't cry forever. There is healing on the way. There is help on the way. There is peace on the way. There is love on the way. There is joy on the way. There's restoration on the way. Somebody just call on the King. Just call on the Lord today. Help is on the way. Don't wait on it any longer. Just call on the Lord. And so I want to open this altar today. And I wonder how many would just make their way forward and say, I'm calling on the king. I'm sending word to the king. And say, Lord, I need some help. I need help down here. And I'm going to open this altar. And, and as you're coming or as you're moving down, I want to pray over you. But I wonder if there's many people that would step out today and just make a declaration. I'm sending word to the king. I'm calling on the king. I'm sending word to him. And as you do, I think so many times we, our eyes are fixed on the problem. Our eyes are fixed on the situation. But if you know that help is coming, you'll actually shift your eyes to look for how far away that help is. If you know help is coming down the road, your eyes are looking because you know your help is on the way. I want to tell somebody today, since you know help is on the way, stop looking at the problem and look at your help. Stop looking at the problem on the job and look at your help. Stop looking at the things here and lift your eyes and say, my help 
is on the Lord because my help is on the way. I wonder how many would come today. I'm opening this altar. Would you, if you come, I'll pray over you. I want to open this altar today. If you come, I'll pray over you. Step out and just say, I'm sending word to the king today. I'm sending word to the king today. Lord, I just pray all over this house. Lord, I pray that we bring our needs to you. Lord, so often we have not because we ask not. But Lord, I just pray right now, would you bring healing? I just pray right now, would you bring peace? I just pray. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Share this message with a friend and don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.